That is what Easter is all about. That's what the resurrection is all about, is so that you and I can have hope for eternity. And that's what I want to talk to you about a little bit this morning, if we can, the few moments we have together. In just a minute, we will be dismissed. But until that time, if you're able, stay right where you are, unless you're sick and you have to slip out. We certainly understand that. If so, would you please stay in the back of the auditorium so as not to disturb those around you? Could I have your attention just for a few moments, wherever you may be in the auditorium, if you could listen carefully, not because of what I have to say or who I am, but because of what I have to say, it doesn't originate with me. It is from God's wonderful word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke. And chapter number 24 is where I directed your attention. We're going to actually pick up at the end of chapter 23. I love the Bible because the Bible tells us two things. It tells us how to get to heaven from here. See, 100 years from this very moment, all that's going to matter for everyone here is one thing. It won't matter if you held an iPhone or an Android. It won't matter what address you lived on this world. It won't matter what model car you drove or how much you have in your 401k. A hundred years from this very moment, all that's going to matter, it won't matter if you're a man or you're a lady, it won't matter if you're young today or old, what's going to matter a hundred years from this moment is where you live. In heaven with God or in hell without him. You say, Pastor, how could you be so emphatic? Because that's exactly what the Bible says. And the reason I love the Bible, it tells you how you can know for sure when life is over, you would go to heaven. You can know that without a shadow of a doubt. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to think, oh, I, I hope I can go to heaven. No, God wants you to know that. He wants you to know that just as sure as I would want my children to know I'm their dad. God wants you to know that he is your heavenly father and you're his child. He doesn't want you to wonder about that. The Bible tells us how we can have reconciliation with God. And uh, the second reason for the Bible is to teach us how to live after we know number one. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life, but not just eternal life, but life more abundantly. Let me encourage you to study, study people. Find people who love and obey the Bible, and you'll see they have a more abundant life. They'll have a more fruitful, wonderful marriage. They'll have stronger relationships with mankind because they have a stronger relationship with God. God's Word helps us with that. It gives us spiritual understanding. It helps us know what is right, what is not right, how to get right when we mess up, and how to stay right so we don't mess up. The Bible changes us. And I love the Bible for that reason. But the Bible is the main character of the Bible is Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about one person, and that's Jesus. Because Jesus is the mediator between God and man. A pastor cannot do that for you. A priest cannot do that for you. The baptistry waters, probably people will get in there today and be baptized, but the water cannot wash away their sin. Going to church is important. I love this church, but this church can get no one forgiveness of sins. It cannot reconcile someone to Christ. It cannot uh, give someone a pathway to eternity. Only Jesus could do that. And that's why the resurrection of Christ is so important. If you were here last week, you heard that we studied and studied with us in Luke chapter 23. 
where the Bible says, and there they crucified Jesus. And of course, there was Calvary. Right there in the middle of the world, you look at a map and you're going to find that Israel is right in the middle of the world. Right there, you're going to find it was there. They, it was the people that were there, but there were Romans there, there were Greeks there, there were Jews there. They represented everybody from all over the world. I was there. My sin is the reason he suffered so bad. The Bible says that God hath made Jesus sin for us. Who, he didn't have any sin of his own, but he died so I could be made righteous before Jesus. They crucified him. That's See, Pastor, why did he have to die? Because the wages of sin is death. See, either you're going to die or you'll accept the death of Jesus for you. You're either going to hell or you'll accept the payment of your hell from Jesus. See, everyone who dies leaves this world one of two ways, with their sin. And then they get a fair trial with a God who knows everything about them. There's no questions with that. Or you can exchange your sin for God's son and have everlasting life and a free pardon. A fair trial or a free pardon, you take your pick. On the cross, Jesus died so I could live. He was separated from his heavenly father so you and I would not have to be separated from him. That's the only way I was talking to a man this week and he said, that's not fair. If you do the crime, you should do the time. I agree completely. I'm glad God's not fair. I'm glad that God made a way for my sin to be covered. I told him that's the love of God. That's how much he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him, whosoever would believe on Jesus, they could have they could not perish. That means they wouldn't die that second death and go to hell, but they could have everlasting life because that life is through Jesus. He's the one who provides for us eternal life. But he didn't just die, he rose again. I need to take a few moments and talk about that. That is the resurrection story. Luke chapter 24, let's notice here, Jesus died on the cross and of course, on the cross, he was the mediator. He was suspended between heaven and earth. So you and I would have a bridge to God through Jesus Christ. We find that, that on, the, on the cross, there were, while he was there, there were mockers. People made fun of him. There were two malefactors, two criminals on each side. One who said, if you're the Christ, get yourself off the cross and get me off the cross if you're all that. The other one said, hey, man, this guy didn't do anything wrong. You know and I, we're thieves. We're guilty. He's innocent. You know it and I know it. He said, Jesus, would you save me? Would you remember me? And God saved him. He didn't get baptized. He didn't go to church. What he did, he believed in Jesus. That's how anyone gets saved. They put their faith in Jesus. He got saved there. We find there were three miracles that happened. When Jesus died, he gave up the ghost and he died on that cross. Three things happened that were miraculous. Number one, the sun went out in the middle of the day for three hours. 
From noon until three, there was darkness like it was in the middle of the night. It was a miracle. That would not happen normally, but it happened then. The second miracle is that at the temple, which was just a, a, a few miles away, the temple, there was a big curtain there. The Bible calls it a veil. And it, it was where that only one man, one time of year, could go back and sprinkle the blood of an innocent lamb to pay for sin. Anyone couldn't walk in there. If you tried to walk in there on your own, the, 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 the Lord's holiness would, would smite you. So no one went by there. Only one time, one time a year, a priest would go in and intercede for God's people. They would even tie a rope on his leg just in case he wasn't right with God when he went back there and he died. No one could go get him. They had to pull him out. And there was a big, thick veil there that separated mankind from God in the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died, that veil, 60 feet high, split right in the middle without a seam. It split in the middle and opened up. Where now, because of the death of Christ, I have access to God through Jesus. The third thing that happened was a miracle, was the miracle of conviction. At the face of the cross, there was a, there was a centurion, a soldier who had seen this happen many times. The crucifixion was not a one-time event. It happened many times throughout history. Hundreds and thousands of people were tortured by crucifixion. And he had seen it. He had seen men suffer. He had went up there and broke their legs with a rod or a ball bat-like thing. And he had, he had watched many people suffer. But at the end of watching Jesus suffer, it was different. Conviction set into his heart. And he said, hey, this is not a normal dude. This is not a normal man. This man was holy. He was righteous. Something just happened here that was not just regular. Something happened here very spiritual. That man was holy, brought conviction. Other people who came there to kind of be a spectator, after it happened, he gave up the ghost. Conviction of the Holy Spirit came to them. They began to beat their chest and say, oh, no, what, what am I feeling? I'm wicked. He's innocent. The Holy Spirit began to draw their hearts to the Lord. There was a conviction that took place. I'm so glad for that conviction that happened to me. It didn't happen to me at the cross. It happened to me in a church service just like this one. I was sitting in a section over here, and as I was listening to the preacher tell me I'm a sinner, well, I knew that, that I deserved hell. I didn't like that, but I saw it in black and white. The wages of sin is death, and it's not just a physical death that separates me from my body. It's an eternal death that separates me from God forever. See, one place God is not going is spend eternity, and that's in hell. And if you go there, you'll go there without God. And God doesn't want it that way. He loves you. He loved me. I remember hearing that in an auditorium, and boy, my heart began to, I had heard lots of, Bible, spiritual talks, and Sunday school lessons, but boy, something God got a hold of me. He said, John, you're the sinner I saved. John, you're the person who deserves to go to hell. But I love you. And on the cross, I did all that was needed to be done so you could be saved. You need to put your faith in me, John. Boy, while that preacher was talking on the outside, something was going on in me on the inside. And the miracle was 
conviction. God began to remind me, John, this is real. Now, I've never seen Jesus. I've never been to heaven or hell. But all of those things were very cognizant in my heart. And I remember that evening, after listening to the message from God's word, it wasn't that man. I don't even remember what he all he said. I don't even remember his name. But I do remember this. While he was talking on the outside, God's conviction was going on on the inside of me. And I knew that I wasn't saved. I knew I wasn't good with God. I knew that I deserved to be separated from God forever, and I needed forgiveness. I needed eternal life. And the church couldn't give it to me. I couldn't give it to myself. My parents couldn't extend it to me. It only could come through Jesus. And that day I asked Jesus to forgive my sin, and he took my sin, and I took his sacrifice. It was the very best day of my life. I'm so grateful for that. The miracle of conviction took place at the cross. And people, I think, were drawn to the Lord Jesus because of that. Jesus said, if I be lifted up on the cross, then I'll draw all men to me. People will know that I can forgive their sin, and he's the only one that can do that. Well, let's just look real quickly as we continue our study today. We'll find that there are people who are related to the resurrection and to the death of Christ. Look, if you would please, Luke chapter 23, verse 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. He was a good man. He treated people right. He was just. The same had consented the counsel, to, uh, the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was he himself waited for the kingdom of God. That means he was a man who believed in the Messiah. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher, hewn in stone, wherein never a man before was laid. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died, immediately this man named Joseph of Arimathea, he was a wealthy man, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he was good, he treated people right, he was just, and he looked and believed that the Messiah was alive. And he accepted Jesus. He went and got his friend who joined him. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came, and John chapter 19 tells us he took of his own um, myrrh and spices, and he came and met him, and they peeled the body of Jesus off of the cross. They cleaned it. They wrapped it in swaddling clothes or in grave man's clothes, like they would wrap a little baby in little things. They wrapped it, putting the spices on his body, and took him to a to a tomb that had, that was, he was virgin born and he was laid in a virgin tomb that never had been used before. And he put it inside the tomb with, with Nicodemus. As they sealed the tomb, they put a rock over top of it. They left it there. It was his tomb that he owned and he put it inside, put the body of Jesus there. The Bible goes on to tell us that there are other people related to that situation. Verse number 54, in the day of the preparation of the Sabbath drew on. It was the Passover when Jesus died. There was a day between that in which there was the day of unleavened bread and preparation for that. And then, of course, it would have been the Sabbath. Probably Jesus did not die on Friday. There's not enough time from Friday to Sunday morning. So the Sabbath, the preparations of the Sabbath was another day in there. At least would have been Thursday, maybe Wednesday, whenever he actually died. It's more traditional why they say Good Friday. But here, 
he says there was preparations made and for the unleavened bread. And then look, if you would please, at the next one, verse 55. And the women also, which came from him to Galilee, followed after and behold, uh, and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned after seeing him entombed and uh, his remains put in the tomb. They returned and prepared spices and ointments uh, and uh, rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came to the sepulcher bringing spices that they had prepared and certain other things with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, verse number three. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord. And it came to pass as they were much, what? Perplexed. Thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid to bow down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet with you in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day and rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all the things unto the eleven disciples who were left. Judas had gone out and killed himself. So they're just eleven disciples and the rest of the followers that were of Jesus. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, uh, Zebedee's wife, and the Bible tells us, and women that were with him, other women, and told these things unto the apostles. But their words seemed to them as idle tales, empty stories, and they believed them not. Then Peter, then arose Peter, and he ran to the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which had come to pass. We find here the story of the resurrection according to Luke. Now it's found throughout all four of the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke here, and in the book of John. Uh, the resurrection of Christ is that he was died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And God tells us that in all of the, the accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here Luke says that um, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they wrap the body of Jesus, they put him in the borrowed tomb, they seal it, and the girls come and they saw what happened. They went home to prepare things they would bring. It'd be like you and I going to a cemetery. I remember whenever we laid to rest our son, 17 years old, and we buried him and put a headstone there. We would go back there regularly to leave flowers and to remember the blessings of having him in our life for 17 years. Well, no doubt these girls had brought back. They thought, well, we'll go. We've got to acknowledge the unleavened bread. We've got to acknowledge the Sabbath. And on Sabbath, on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday morning, they went, to the, they went to the tomb. But it was empty. The stone had been moved, and they were wondering. They put their head inside or walked in inside there, and they saw that it was, he wasn't there. They saw that. And perplexed, they wondered with all the things they were going to put there on the, on the, outside the tomb. They wondered, oh man, what has happened? And the Bible says they not only the people that related there, and by the way, thank God for precious ladies in the work of God. Luke is interested. He mentions 43 different times ladies in the stories of the Lord Jesus Christ and interacting. I thank God for the Spirit 
the commitment, the generosity, the kindness, the thoughtfulness, the care of ladies. And no doubt Jesus and the disciples and the early Christians experienced so many blessings from precious ladies within the work of the Lord. Well, this was no different. They came. They were perplexed. They had nothing but questions. And then two angels stood there at the, at the tomb. And they said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? What are you doing in a graveyard looking for a live man? What are you doing here at the tomb? He is not here. He's risen. He's no longer dead. They could not hardly process it. They couldn't believe it. But as soon as they received the information, they had not only people related, but they had a proclamation that had been revealed that the Savior that they love. And they thought, they thought he was going to come not just to give them eternal life, but to give them freedom from the Roman government. They didn't expect him to live. Now, he told them over and over again that he was going to die. And the, and the, the angel said to him, hey, don't you remember when he was in Galilee, he told you in Matthew chapter 17, Luke chapter 18, that he would be betrayed and be killed and, uh, and he would rise again the third day. Remember he told you that just as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights before he is resurrected? Didn't you remember him telling you that? And then they said, yes, we do remember that prophecy that re had been reminded of them. So they go, and they go back to the place where they knew the 12. Once again, this is early on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week. It's why we gather together on the first day of the week. After the resurrection, God's people begin to gather on the first day of the week and worship, and they give to him, and they would love him and, and praise the Lord and meet with the brothers and sisters, hear his word and be strengthened by his truth. They're together. So they run back from the from the, the, the cemetery and where the tomb is, and they see the 11 apostles there. They see the other people that are there gathered. Maybe it's in the upper room where they had the Last Supper. Maybe it's over at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house in Bethany. We don't know the location, but we don't. they go back there, and they say, guys, the tomb's empty. It's empty. We didn't know what to do. We had all the things to present. We had the flowers and the spices to put outside, but it's an empty tomb, and there's nothing but just linen cloths laying there. And we were so puzzled, but two men in glowing garments stood and told us, hey, what are you in a graveyard looking for a live man? Go find the live man. He's not dead. He's risen. And... We remember, they said, don't you remember he told you over and over again, he's going to die, he's going to raise again. He told you that. Remember that? Remember when he told us that? Yes. But the Bible says they believed not. They did not believe. Here's the, the 11 apostles, the group of people that have given the last three and a half years of their life to follow Jesus, and still they're thick. Still, they're struggling with faith. You know, God has a hard time believing that we have a hard time believing. <laughs> he has been right and never been wrong one time. Everything he says he's going to do, he does it. And yet, our hearts are oftentimes extremely calloused. 
Many of us, God has helped us through all kinds of difficult things, and we have a difficult thing today, and we're all stressed out again. Like God doesn't know what's going on. He fell off his throne. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? He's not one, he's never been nervous. He doesn't even have a headache. He's not confused by computers or world events. He knows everything that's going on. And he loves you. And he beckons for your belief. And the Bible says they believe not. The problem that is presented here is restriction of faith. You know, the only sin that God cannot forgive is the sin of unbelief. If you're immoral, it has consequences, but God can forgive it. If you've got stubborn addictions, they have consequences, but God can forgive it. If you've lied or stolen, you've abused someone, or you have gone through some kind of a negative, hateful, cruel thing, you, you may have consequences, but God can forgive any sin except for the sin of unbelief. Do you know how people get to heaven? They have to believe. In John chapter 1, Jesus said this, but as many as received Jesus. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. See, the only way we can have our sins, and say, Pastor, what is the big deal about the resurrection? Number one, for the resurrection, the big deal is it brings strength, stability, and confidence to the child of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible says this, that if God could raise up Jesus from the dead, he will raise up us by that same power. So whatever problem I have is a temporary problem, and anything over my head is under his feet, and he can handle it. He can take me through any problem I go through. That's what the resurrection's about. For a child of God, it means that whatever I'm going to go through, God is powerful enough to help me through it. But for the unbeliever, it is for salvation. See, if Jesus died and he never rose again, then he's no different than any other prophet or God. Then he's on the same par with, with other people who have been good people. But he's not just a prophet. He's God. And he, the innocent, died for you and me, the guilty. And we need to put our faith in Jesus and only in him. See, in this room today, there are two types of people. Now, we have different pigments of our skin, different backgrounds. Some are men, some are ladies. Some are older, some are younger. Some are from this country, some have migrated from other countries of the world. We have differences. Some, some you've, got, you've got some money in your account, and other folks are just glad to get here today and just glad to make it hand to mouth. But really, there's just two groups of people here today, people who are saved and people who are lost, people who have put their faith in Jesus and him alone and people who have not yet done that. And Jesus said, 
but as many as received him. You must have a time and a place when you accept Jesus. To them gave he power to become God's child, the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I wonder for someone today and say, Pastor, I have never yet have a time and a place where I put my faith in Jesus, but I want that to be now. I want to share with you three things quickly, and you must hasten to listen. I'll do my best to explain it clearly. There's three things everyone needs to know to have eternal life. This is what Easter is all about. This is what the resurrection is about. Number one, you have to understand that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how good we are, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot forgive our own sin. We can't be good enough to do well on our own. We have to admit, I'm a sinner. I can't go to heaven on my own. I can't forgive my own. I can't reconcile myself to God in my own righteousness. Number two, the payment of my sin is death. If I have to pay for my own sin, I'm going to die. Now, in the Bible, death is twofold. It's physical, but both times is separation. It's physical and spiritual, and both times are separation. When someone dies, their body's here, their spirit leaves. They're separated, and they're separated from their loved one. How many have someone in your family who has died or a friend of yours who's passed away? The pain, the thing that makes us weep is because we're separated from them. Death separated us, and that's what death does. The first death separates our body from our soul and from our loved ones. The second death separates us from God. And you don't have to have the second death. Jesus died. He was separated from God, so you wouldn't have to be. So we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. The price of our sin is to die. I wish it said baptism. Just everyone get baptized, you go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The way to sin is death. Then the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, listen, friend, listen to this and underline this and pay attention to this. Eternal life is not a reward for doing some right things. It's a gift for recognizing your guilt. You can't earn it. The secret of eternal life is to learn that it cannot be earned. No matter how good you are, you're not good enough to prance into the presence of God in your own righteousness. The only one, only way anyone goes to heaven is through accepting the gift of eternal life. We're sinners. We can't save ourselves. The price of sin is to be separated forever from God. Jesus loves us, and on the cross, he did all that needed to be done so we could accept the gift. How do you accept the gift? Though the Bible's very clear. In Romans chapter 10, and verse number 11, the Bible says this, For with the heart man believeth, unto righteousness. The first thing you need to do to accept God's gift, you believe in your heart. What I just heard pastors say from the Bible is true. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. I can't save myself, but Jesus can. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, there's no sense in me continuing with you. The next thing you do is believe that in your heart. The next thing you do is to call upon the Lord. Ask him to save you. I remember the night I heard I was a sinner. I deserved hell. Only Jesus could save me. And I knelt down and I said, Dear Lord, you don't have to kneel down, but that's what I did. I knelt down and said, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But right now, I am confessing 
that only Jesus could save me, and I'm asking you to save me. And that day I believed in my heart, and I accepted the gift of God. I wonder if there's someone here that needs to do that. Some of you have already done that. Congratulations. Now you should live for the one who saved you. Now you have a whole new motivation for being faithful. But if you're here and you're not sure that you've ever done that, let's take care of that right this moment. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?